Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. And I want to spend the first part of our time today illustrating what husbands should not do from the story of King Ahasuerus. And I want to talk about several steps, which we do, which get us in trouble. I don't know how many wives have told me that their husbands can't stand it when they're sick. Fever of 104 and a husband saying, but who's going to get my breakfast? (laughs) And the wife is under pressure then. She feels like, oh, I'm not allowed to be sick, you know. So then she has to, you know, put an ice pack in her head and stumble to the kitchen and make breakfast for her demanding husband who's preoccupied only with his own needs. Because he's preoccupied with his significance, it all follows in order here, because he's concerned with his significance, the next step is demand that your wife respond in certain ways. Demand that whatever will make you feel good is what she will do. That so often enters into the physical relationship. And yet Corinthians is so clear when Paul says that the husband's body is there for the pleasure of his wife. And vice versa. As you approach the physical relationship, it isn't a matter of saying what makes me feel good. It's a matter of saying what makes you feel good. As your wife is hurting with a a sickness, or she's depressed, or she's down, or whatever, what a lot of us as husbands do is simply say, come on, don't be like that. Shape up. Everything will be all right. What's the matter? You're too sensitive. You're just a woman. And we say it that fast oftentimes. As opposed to saying, wait a minute. I'm not preoccupied with my significance. My thinking of my wife is not what's going to make me feel good. My thinking towards my wife is what's going to make her feel good. That's going to be my concern. But a poor husband is one who demands that his wife do whatever makes him feel good. So he demands, I want a cup of coffee. Wives, when your husband says, I want a cup of coffee, in that demanding terms, you have three choices. (laughs) Choice number one. You can play the wrong tape in your own mind and say, my security depends upon my husband's approval. Therefore, like a neurotic puppet, I will now get out of my chair and go pour him a cup of coffee and bring it to him so he won't get mad at me. Let me tell you, you are not ministering to your husband by getting him a cup of coffee. You're protecting yourself. It's a self-centered action. And it's sinful. That's one option you have. A lot of you do. Second option you have is, hey, wait a minute, Charlie Brown. Let me tell you something. You don't run my life. I heard, I heard Larry Crabb say submission doesn't mean you've got to do everything you're told. So I'm going to tell you to get your own coffee. That's not ministering to your husband either. There's a third option. The third option is, you play the right tape, you say, Lord, this klutz of a husband of mine... Is right now demanding something, and that really makes me angry. Uh Uh-oh, anger. Let's see. Block goal. Goal is desires. Let me see. My goal is that he treat me nicer. Wrong. That's got to be a desire. Lord, may he treat me nicer. Goal, be a godly wife. Okay. Let's see. Now, what is the way to fulfill my goal? I don't have to do anything. A lot of you folks, what you do, a lot of us folks, if I say, why'd you do that? Well, I had to. Why'd you get up at 6.30 this morning? Well, I had to. Why'd you go to work? Well, I have to. Lives are full of have-tos. Why'd you get him a cup of coffee? Well, I had to. No, 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 no. Christian's life is not full of have-tos. It's full of choose-tos. I don't have to pray for the missionaries. 
But because I understand that the missionary enterprise is God's plan, and God has called me to himself in a way that he wants me to support the missionaries by prayer, and I love the Lord, and I love the missionary enterprise, therefore I choose to pray. I might not feel like it at a given moment, but I choose to. So the Christian wife then would say, I got my goals and desires straight, my desire is that he treat me differently, but I can't assume responsibility for that. It breaks Crabb's cardinal principle of mental health. My goal is rather that I be a godly woman. What's a godly woman do? A godly woman is one who submits to her husband by ministering to his needs. I choose to be what God wants me to be. And after all that mental work, you turn to your husband and say, I'd love to get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> and that's your third option. Sorry, ladies, for the disappointment. <laughs> Couldn't, couldn't hear some comment there. Maybe I shouldn't have. I'm not sure. The second step in being a poor husband, expect your wife to do whatever makes you feel good. Third step, in being a poor husband, get mad when she doesn't. First step, be preoccupied with your own significance. Second step, expect your wife to do whatever makes you feel good. Third step, get mad when she doesn't perform the way you want her to. Verse number 12. Esther chapter 1, Queen Vashti did not do what her husband wanted. Then the king became very angry why he had a blocked goal. Held a grudge against his wife. Boy, that makes me mad what she did. I'll show her. Step 4, being a poor husband, seek guidance while still mad. Notice verse 13. Then, notice the word then. Then the king said to the wise men, when was then? Then when the king was thoroughly angry and bitter and fed up with his wife, then he says, now what should I do about it? He never dealt with his anger. Do you see? Are you mad at your wife or something? You take the anger, you stick it in your left leg somewhere, and you say, I'll do what's right. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do it, miserable woman. Or do you say, whoops, wait a minute. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I being in the way the Lord led me. Wait a minute, the Lord's not going to lead me, the Lord's not going to hear me unless I'm walking in the light, unless I don't regard iniquity in my heart. doesn't mean pretend it isn't there, it means face the fact that it is there and deal with it. And say, wait a minute, rather than seeking guidance while you're still fed up and while your heart is still wrong and while you're still furious at your wife, say, wait a minute, before I ask, Lord, how do you want me to treat my wife, let me say, first of all, what's wrong with me? Why am I so mad at my wife? What's going on here? Uh-oh, got the goals and desires mixed up again. My goal is to be a man of God not to get my wife to perform according to my tune. Lord, I acknowledge my anger. Dealing with anger is two steps in my mind. Number one, you acknowledge that you're angry. Yes, Lord, I am angry. I stand before you as an angry, sinful husband. I acknowledge it. And then, Lord, I reaffirm my commitment to reach the goal of being what you want me to be. Now your anger is dealt with. You've acknowledged your anger. You've said, Lord, I don't want to be angry. I don't choose to be angry. But listen, folks, you cannot directly change your emotions. Did you ever try to do that? Did you ever try when you feel something to feel something else? You feel angry at your husband some morning? Today I'm going to feel warm towards him. <laughs> you know, go on, stomach. You just can't do it. See? You can't change your feelings, but you can change your, you can change your mind. 
You can change the tapes. You can admit my stomach is wrong and my tapes are wrong. Let me get those right. Yeah, I'm angry. I admit it. Lord, I don't want to be, but that's what's true. Let me see. It's because my tapes are wrong. Lord, my goal is to be a man of God, a woman of God. Now that I have my goal straight, now I'll seek guidance to reach the goal. If you don't do that, your behavior towards your wife will likely be designed to get her to be different. And that's not biblical. Step five. After you seek guidance while still mad, predictably he got the wrong answer. He didn't ask the Lord, of course, but he asked his wise men, who were fools. The answer he got was this, what a lot of husbands do. Step five in being a poor husband, shut your wife out for failing you. Shut her out for failing you. How many husbands have emotionally turned off their wives? Just will not relate and put on the layers of withdrawal, the layers of neglect. You don't share what you really feel. You don't share what's important to you. You don't really come to your wife and say, Honey, I love you. You mean a lot to me. I think you're gorgeous. Because your wife has hurt you, because you're angry, because you had the wrong goal, you're preoccupied with your own significance, you expect your wife to do what makes you feel good, she doesn't do it and you get mad, you don't deal with your anger and you put on some spiritual layer of, I'll be a good husband anyhow, I'll serve the Lord, I'll be a Christian husband, and the anger is still running around inside, undealt with, and as a result, what do you do? Oh, you're still a good husband, you don't cheat on her, you don't get drunk, you don't beat her up, you still provide for her, you might even still pray with her once in a while, but emotionally you shut her out. Shut out your wife, that's step number five. You know what that does, though? That leaves a void. And step six, the last one, is fill the emptiness. Fill the emptiness with someone or something else. And let me tell you what I observe, and it's so sad. Let me tell you four things, just very briefly. Four things that it seems to me that so many husbands, many times Christian husbands, do to fill the void. They wanted significance. They got married to gain significance from their wives. They expected their wife to perform according to their expectations. Their wife didn't do it, as no wife can ever perform perfectly. Therefore, they got mad at their wife because they had the wrong goal. They held it against their wife, didn't deal with their anger. They might have prayed and besought the Lord's face about how to deal with the situation while still having wrong goals, while still being angry. And therefore, they, didn't, they never became real biblical husbands. Therefore, inside, their, their insides are still rather empty. They're longing for more than what they have. And so they begin to fill up the emptiness with one of four things. Work. Have some workaholics. That can be getting advances or more money or success or prestige or just time away from home. All because when you're around your wife, you don't feel significant. Work is one. Another way is extramarital sex. Pornography. It's amazing the number of Christian men that have pornography collections in my office. I gave a workshop at a church a while ago, and you give a workshop on marriage, and you look out in the audience, everyone looks so good, you know, and then you start talking to people. This one fellow came to me, and he said he was broken, just in tears after the message and the role of a husband. He said, i got to tell you something. Can I talk to you? And I said, sure, we're going to side and talk. This man's job was he was a projectionist in an X-rated movie theater. Can you imagine all day long watching that stuff? I said, sir, step one is you don't ever go back there. Use the phone right now and quit. How will I support my family? 
I said, sir, you pump gas, you do anything. I'd rather have your family starve to death than you go back to that place. He said, I can't do that. And he went back. Second thing is fill up your life with the pleasures that are available, that are very real pleasures for a time, and the cost is incredible. Sexual pleasure outside of marriage, that's step two, which so many, many men are turning to these days, if not in actual behavior, at least in fantasy life. Watch your fantasy. The difference between the thought and the deed is the opportunity. Satan will get you. Step three. Fourth thing, the third thing rather that men turn to to fill emptiness is alcohol. Anything to make you feel good quick. That's Satan's plan. You want to feel good? You've got plenty of ideas and it's quicker than God's way. Hello. <laughs> Fourth. And the fourth way to fill up emptiness that I see so often, first is work, second is women, third is booze, fourth is church work. I see it time and time again. Men who spend hours with their Bible, pastors who spend hours with their congregation, not a minute with their wives. Why? Because it's behind the pulpit the pastor feels significant. That's where he's competent. Give me the Bible and I can exegete it. I'll take the Hebrew and the Greek and all the rest of it. Give me a wife and what do you do? Much more comfortable when I'm counseling my congregation. Whatever it might be. I'm so much more competent telling somebody else how to run their marriage than figuring out how I can do it myself. Don't retreat behind church work. I'm not saying don't be involved. Don't misunderstand me. But don't use it as a defense, as a cop-out, as an area where you say, in order to be significant, I need to be competent. I need to know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing with my wife, but I know what I'm doing with my Bible. So the dickens with my wife, let me get my Bible out, and it looks so spiritual, and you get so much reinforcement for it. And your wife is emotionally starved. That's how to be a poor husband. So how do you do it, right? Deuteronomy chapter 24. Very interesting law back in, New in Old Testament times. In Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5, when a man takes a new wife, I wish they had laws like this today, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. What was his purpose in staying home? To be preoccupied with his own significance or to be preoccupied with her need for security? You see? Husbands were required, the very least permitted, to take off a year for the purpose of building their relationship. We call it a honeymoon today for a weekend or a week or two weeks, whatever it might be. And the purpose of it is, is look, if you're going to establish your marriage on right grounds, husband, step number one, there are two parts to the role of the husband. I want to discuss it. Two parts, and the first is involvement with your wife. Involvement. How am I involved with my wife? The Old Testament husband was told to stay home in order to cheer up, to bring happiness to his wife. How am I doing that? What do you do to bring happiness to your wife? Is that the way that I think? So often my wife and I go away to conferences and retreats and whatever. 
My wife has said that what means so much to her, what I fail at sometimes, what means so much to her is when I don't get so preoccupied with getting my sermons ready or getting up and preaching or talking to people or whatever, when I have time to go for a walk with my wife. When I have time to sit with her and just chat and look and interact about some things. To be involved with my wife, that's critical. Ask your wives how you sometimes fail to be involved with her. And I mentioned things like this before, but like at the Bible study, at your church, at a home maybe, a home Bible study, and after it's finished, it's time for refreshments. And by the, between the time you walk in the door for the Bible study and the time you leave that house, after the refreshments, you haven't said one word to your wife. And talking to everybody else. You thought you were having a great old time. Your wife is there starved emotionally. My wife once told me that at a Bible study we were attending together, that we were sitting around, about 12 of us in the living room, and she said during the course of the evening it meant so much to her that once in a while our eyes met and we kind of looked at each other. I said, that meant something to you? <laughs> she looked at me and I said, it's nice. And I looked at her and she said, that's what I want. Women are different. In case you all didn't know that. <laughs> the scripture is saying in 1 Peter 3, dwell with your wives. 1 Peter 3, 7, dwell with your wives, live with your wives according to knowledge. Know what turns your wife on? One man told me he could never, never understand his wife. She was just far too temperamental. She was 90% temper and 10% metal. <laughs> But if you begin asking and saying, Honey, well, tell me, when I do something right, let me know that. Let me know what it is that produces a sense of involvement in your life. What makes a difference to you? Maybe it's reaching out and grabbing her hand first. Maybe it's lots of little things like that. Ask your wife today, and she'll say, I don't know, what's he talking about? Never dawned on you, maybe your husband could be involved with you. You know, think it through, it'll come. Involvement. Second thing that a husband is supposed to do. Do you ever think what happened after that year? The Old Testament husband was with his wife for a whole year's honeymoon. Let's assume things went along well. Let's assume the year was great. And the wife got used to having the husband around for a whole year and thought it was a super walks together and picnics in the woods and all sorts of things. And after a year is up, the guy's got to go off to the army. Can you imagine what the wife might have said? Couldn't you stay a little while longer? What would the husband say at that point? Anything you say, dear, or was he a leader? That he recognize his responsibilities to God and that he say, Honey, I'm going to be involved in your life. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going this way to serve the Lord. I want you to come with me. I'll be involved with you as we go. But I'm not going this way. I'm the leader. Now let me tell you what leadership is. I don't believe that leadership is meant to be just a club where you just decide what's supposed to be and expect your wife to come along. I don't believe leadership is a matter where a husband says, I assume responsibility for my wife's spiritual welfare, now I've got to make her spiritual. I don't believe leadership has anything to do with that kind of thing. You can't make your wife spiritual. You can just love your wife where she is. Talked to a man once who got married to a woman who was a very godly woman. Came from a good Christian background. He came from a good Christian background. He was looking forward to just living together as a happy Christian home and praying and having devotions and all sorts of things and just being a great Christian couple. The day after their honeymoon ended, she said, Guess what? I'm not going to church with you. 
and his heart was broken. His first response was, I'm going to lead my wife by saying to her, yes, you're going to go to church. Then someone counseled him. This goes back years and years and years ago. Someone counseled him, wait a minute, leadership does not mean you tell your wife what to do. Leadership means you earn your wife's following by accepting her where she is. And he said to his wife, honey, I very much want you to go to church. That's my desire. But my goal is to accept you. And if you choose not to go to church and not to read your word and not to pray with me, if you choose not to do the things that I want so much, here we go again. Yes, my heart will be broken, but I'll accept you exactly as you are. My goal isn't to change you. How many of you husbands have been saying, skip the dessert tonight, Emily? Take off ten. What's the message? If you'd slender up a little bit, I think I could love you a little more. Well, isn't that right? I mean, I'm just leading my wife. No, 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 no. The foundation of leadership is I accept you exactly where you are. Isn't that what Christ has done for me? Husbands, love your wives that way. Did the Lord come and say, Larry, you're a mess. If you'll shape up, then I'll get along with you. He said, Larry, you're a mess, but I love you anyhow, and I'll die for you. And now that you've seen what a great God I am, now that your eyes have been opened to my love, now you choose to submit and follow me, now, yes, we'll lead and we'll get along fine. I'm going this way. Care to come along? Leadership is not bludgeoning your wife over the head. You know what the essence of leadership that I think so many husbands miss, that I miss so much of the time? Decisiveness. The ability to make decisions. How many of you pawn decisions off on your wife? We were in the process of buying a new home a little while ago, and I wasn't sure if we should buy it or not. Just didn't know. So like the normal, immature coward that I am, I essentially, subtly, asked my wife to make the decision. But I did it in very spiritual ways. I said, hey, hon, what do you think? Want your counsel. I'm the leader, but I want your counsel. What do you think? Well, Larry, I think it would be, uh, it makes sense. Uh, I think it's a good thing for us that it enhance our ministry. I think it would make our family life a little nicer. It seems to be what we want. I think it's a good idea. You really want it, hon? What's she going to say? No, I don't want the new house. You know. You really want it? Yeah, it would be nice. Great. Happy to do it for you. <laughs> My wife caught on. She said, hey, Larry, you know what you're doing? I said, yeah, I'm being a super husband. What else? She said, no. She said, you're making me take the responsibility for the decision. So then if you go bankrupt a year later, you can say, see what you did to me, honey? <laughs> How many of you, when you go out for dinner, you say to your wives, and you think it's so good, you say, where do you want to go? The wife says, any place is fine with me. Feel like fish? Fish is fine. Want fish? Sure. Okay, we'll go where you want to go. We'll get some fish. You know, my wife has told me that she likes so much. When I call her up in the middle of the day and say, Honey, I already called a babysitter. Be ready at 7. We're going out for dinner. But see, guys are afraid to do that because a wife might say, Not tonight. And we don't want that. And so we take all the responsibility of our shoulders and put it on our wife's shoulders and make them make all the decisions. One man, and it was one of the biggest jobs he ever had to do in counseling, his assignment was to take his wife out for dinner and not to tell her where they were going until they got there. He was scared to death, literally. He was a professional person. 
he got in the car and his wife said, where are we going? And she was so nonplussed by this because usually he'd say, where do you want to go? And he didn't say that. He said, we're going out for dinner. Really? And they got in the car and they, <clears throat> they said, where are we going? You'll find out, lady. And they just kept driving along. And I'll tell you something, and ladies, you can all throw shoes at me if you want. I once had a patient throw a shoe at me. You can do it if you want. I believe, and the women I've talked to corroborates this, that women want their husbands to be decisive. Heard a couple ladies say amen. <laughs> and you know that's so hard for us as men to be, but that's what you're going to have to be if you want to be a biblical husband who's going to lead your wife. And it's so hard to be decisive. Lots of people, lots of people, lots of men, women too, I suppose, seek the Lord's guidance about so many things, and now careful with this, they seek the Lord's guidance as a cop-out. I don't want to ever make a mistake, because my significance depends on never making a mistake, maybe. Therefore, I'm preoccupied with my own significance, and so I say, Lord, I don't want to make any mistake. You tell me what to do. This house thing was just driving me nuts. I couldn't make up my mind. I was praying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me. Have you ever prayed for the Lord's guidance and he just didn't tell you clearly? And you say, what is this? I'm out of touch spiritually. Honey, what do you think? I asked my kids what they wanted to do. I'll do anything. Leader of me, you know. <laughs> Talk to some elders in our church and the pastor and all sorts of people. Somebody tell me what to do. Finally asked my dad. I said, Dad, what do you think? Father's a very godly man. I said, Dad, what should I do? Here's my financial situation. Here's what the house costs. Here's what we want it. Here are the pros. Here are the cons. What should we do? He said, Larry, I got the answer for you. Super. What's the answer? He said, make up your mind. <laughs> But I wanted to be a six-year-old child and have my daddy tell me what to do, you see? <laughs> Big, strong leader of me. One more illustration of that. It's so important. How indecisive men are and how wives are starving for strength. Some time ago, about a month or two ago, it wasn't that long ago, it was a Friday afternoon and I had an hour free and I wasn't sure what to do with the hour. Ever had that? No matter what you do, you feel guilty. You take a nap, you should have written a letter, you write a letter, should have taken a nap. You ought to study your Bible, you ought to clean the house, you ought to call a friend. No matter what you do, you're wrong. And uh, you pray for guidance. Well, I prayed for guidance. I said, Lord, what should I do? I had two options that occurred to me. Well, I could go to the YMCA. We belong to the health club there. And I like working out and, and getting my body in shape. And I enjoy spending an hour at the health club. The other option was playing tennis with my kids. I like doing that too. And I couldn't decide. Health club or tennis? You'll all wonder what you've been listening to an immature person like me all week for when you listen to this story. <clears throat> I couldn't decide what to do, so I prayed about it. Like all good Christians do, I said, Lord, either one's fine with me. I'm happy to do the one. I'll do whatever you want. Just help me and I'll do it. I'll be glad to be your immature puppet. So I couldn't decide. I didn't sense any real clear leading, health club or tennis. I just didn't know what to do. So I made a decision. I said, I'll go to the health club. So here's our home. Here's the health club. I got in the car, I got halfway to the health club, and I said, no, I should play tennis. I said, how does a Christian get guidance today? And these kind of areas. We have no problem with the big areas. The Bible says don't commit adultery. That's clear guidance from the Lord. I know that. Don't steal, don't tell lies. I know those big areas. But where's the verse that says go to the health club on Friday afternoon? I couldn't find it. <laughs> so how do you get guidance from the Lord? And I sat there in my car for about five minutes saying, what do you do? How do you lead your life? 
I'm to be a leader in my home. And I'm sitting there handcuffed within it with this tiny decision like this. What I realized, I sat there, I said, Lord, you're capable of coming out of the clouds and saying, health club. <laughs> but you aren't doing it. Am I that spiritually out of tune? What's the principle? And I believe that in many areas like this, God leads in a variety of ways. But in many areas, I'm afraid to make a decision that might be the wrong one, and what God is saying, Larry, grow up. Take responsibility. Either option is all right. Oh, but I want your best, Lord. Larry, what you're saying is you want to cop out from being a mature adult and taking responsibility. Ooh. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Lord, I do acknowledge you. If it's a health club, I'll go there. If it's my kids, I'll go there. I'll do whatever you want. I acknowledge you as Lord, and he shall direct me as I make my adult choices. So I made a choice. Because God led me, I made a choice. Because of what? Because I made a choice. I had to. I couldn't sit there all day. I went to my kids and played tennis. God blessed that choice. We went to the tennis courts and the coach of a newly formed boys' tennis team was there, saw my son play and invited him to play the team. And I said, Lord, I think I understand something about your guidance. In all these little areas, you want us to be adults and make up our minds. When you lead clearly, Lord, I go with you. That's my commitment. When your word is clear and there's no room for me making a decision, should I in fact do this wrong thing? No need for praying about that. God has spoken to what God says. But in so many little areas, should I wear the blue suit or the green suit? Should I go to the health club or tennis court? Should we go to this place for dinner or that place for dinner? Many of us as men want to cop out from responsibility. Go to the husband. Involvement. Leadership. Decisiveness. Accept your wife where she is. Don't ask her to change. Make it your goal to let her know you love her exactly as she is today. But it's not your job to change her, it's your job to accept her. And then be decisive. I don't mean insensitively decisive, but make decisions. Be a man. Be an adult. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.